This episode is supported by Primal.io, P-R-Y-M-L.io. At Primal, we are designing innovative solutions to enable data sharing without giving up confidentiality. Check it out, Primal.io, P-R-Y-M-L.io. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Shoreditch London. In this episode, I'm uh, speaking about uh, a very interesting subject, which is um, attacking machine learning models. Uh, there will be probably more than a, one episode on this because, of course, the literature is very rich and uh, also the number of attacks that uh, practitioners and uh, attackers in general are creating and inventing is uh, growing and meaning that there is the necessity to think about machine learning in uh, more clever ways and uh, also not to rely too much on uh, machine learning models that might be leaking uh, information somehow. The reason of this episode is also driven by my personal interest in security uh, for machine learning and uh, in a way in finding possible ways to quantitatively investigate how machine learning models might be leaking information about some records, usually the records they have been trained on. One of the biggest assumptions of machine learning models is that it is not possible or it would be extremely challenging to reverse the uh, function that associates training data to the output of the model. And so, for example, if you have an X as an input and a Y, which is a label that is assigned or predicted for that particular input, it would be relatively challenging, unless, of course, the model is a generative model, to go back from Y and reconstruct perfectly the X that uh, the model predicted the Y for. I'm not saying it's exactly like hashing or hash functions, uh, but it should be like that in the sense that there is a relatively fuzzy definition of privacy and uh, data leakage when it comes to machine learning, uh, for which it is very important to give a definition indeed. And so the so-called uh, uh, Dalenius Desideratum states that the model, the machine learning model, should not reveal more information about the input to which it is applied than would have been known about the same input without applying the model. So I want to make a, a very practical example here. If we are predicting in the financial sector, for example, we are predicting overdraft, which means the probability of going into a negative account balance in the next two weeks, given a number of financial transactions that uh, tell a story about how we are spending our money, at what time of the day, in which location, etc. Now, the model that is meant to just make the prediction about the overdraft should not disclose anything more about the spending habits or about the time in which some purchases are performed, it should just provide an information that is related to the probability of running into overdraft, right? And so this is exactly what the Dalenius Desideratum says. The model should not reveal more about the input than you would know 
with, about the input without applying the model. This, of course, is a, a very strict definition about you know, privacy in machine learning, and uh, it is quite rare to find such a statement applied to commercial machine learning. Now, when I speak about commercial machine learning, I'm usually referring to so-called machine learning as a service. And so think about Amazon ML or the Google Prediction API uh, and many others that are just smaller and we don't hear. Uh, but in fact, it's, um, you know, I'm not judging these services. These are amazing services, but there is a fundamental problem about these models that are run into, uh, you know, these online services, which is the capability, apparently, of um, uh, reconstructing the input somehow or as in this case, in the case of explaining this episode, infer some sort of membership about a record, a particular record, and uh, guessing with uh, a very good uh, uh, level of certainty that that record was indeed part of the training set of that particular model. The problem we are trying to explain today is, given a machine learning model and uh, a record, uh, determine whether this record was used as part of the model's training dataset or not. Now, one might think, why would I be interested in finding this? Uh, well, the, the answer is very simple. Uh, let's assume that the model is um, a model that predicts, for example, the risk to a particular disease or genetic disorder. If I can infer the membership of a particular record that I know, in fact, I can establish with a good level of certainty that that particular record belonged to the training dataset, which means that that particular individual has been considered to participate in a, in a cohort study for determining the risk to a particular disease. And uh, if I run that model against the same record, I would definitely know if that particular individual is in fact affected by that particular disease or not. There are millions of possible ways to leak information. And of course, whenever we automate these machine learning workflows, the risks to leak even more information can only be higher. There are several techniques in order to force a model to leak data. And uh, in this case, I'm going to explain a very clever uh, way invented by some researchers. And uh, I will uh, provide, of course, the references to the academic papers that, uh, that uh, I am, I've been reading uh, for the sake of this episode in the show notes uh, on datascienceatome.com. But first, a bit of background. In the case of machine learning as a service, there are some constraints that the user has to deal with, which is in particular the fact that the models cannot be downloaded or are not accessible if not via the services API. Which means that if I am using a machine learning as a service API, I in fact cannot get access to the weights, to the parameters and hyperparameters of that model, but I can just use that model by feeding input data and getting back the results, which are the predictions, whatever that model is, of course, predicting. Not only that, I would not have access to the training data that has been used to train that model. And so, in fact, I can just consume that model as a user. So these are the constraints that we are dealing with. They are pretty realistic. In fact, they are very realistic because this is exactly the scenario that one might find whenever they use machine learning as a service. Under these conditions, one might think, how would I 
force these models or how could I extract some additional information about any particular record that I have in my hands to know if that particular record has been used as a training record in the training set of, my, of that model, right? And uh, since I have no access or I should not have access to the training data set, well, if I can get this information via other ways, I'm in fact attacking the model. Now, there are several actors that we have to describe before we get into the details of how would it be possible to infer membership about any particular record at hand. Let's define some actors. The first is, of course, you know, the data record and the class label, which is the record that I have in my hands. And then I have so-called target model, right? So that the target model is the model that is behind the API and uh, I can just use, I can just perform predictions, I cannot access parameters, I cannot access hyperparameters, I cannot access training data set. That's the model that is the target, right? Now, the second actor is so-called attack model, and that's the model that I would build in order to spill information and uh, uh, infer the membership of the record at hand. There are other actors, of course, uh, that will I will describe in a, in a minute, which are called the shadow models, but more on that later. Let's start with uh, defining the attack model. Let's call it F attack, okay? Now, the attack model receives as input a data record, which we call the X attack, which is composed of a correctly labeled record and the prediction vector of size C, where C is the number of classes that particular target model is predicting. So if I am, for example, um, determining the, uh, the risk to um, one particular disorder, I'm uh, probably dealing with a, a prediction vector of, let's say, three probabilities or three classes that say no risk, mild risk, and the very high risk, right? We have only three possible classes. That's the, the cardinality of this uh, set is in this case three. So what we would use in uh, this case for any labeled record XY, we would use the target model to compute this prediction vector uh, Y, which is equal to the F target of X, right? So it's uh, basically by feeding X, feeding the model, the target model X. Now the distribution of this Y, which is also called classification confidence values, depends on the true class of the uh, data record. And uh, this is why we pass the true label Y of X, of the input, in addition to the model's prediction vector Y, to the attack model. So basically, the output of the target model becomes the input to the attack model. There are other actors, as I mentioned, that close the loop and uh, make all this possible, which are called the shadow models. What's the role of the shadow models? Well, the shadow models made so-called shadow training possible, and that's a very nasty technique that is possible to be applied on a black box model, which means models of which I have no access to the hyperparameters and parameters. What are the shadow models for? So the role of the shadow model consists of uh, learning if a particular record belongs to the training set or not. And so what the shadow model does is essentially uh, receiving as input a shadow training set and uh, getting as output a label that says in or out. Okay. 
Now, this is basically the only reason why shadow models exist. For all records in the training dataset of a shadow model, one can query the model and obtain the output. And these output vectors will be labeled in and added to the attack model's training dataset. One could also query the shadow model with a test dataset that is disjoint from the training dataset, and the output of this set would be labeled out, indicating that they were not belonging to the training set, and also added to the attack model's training dataset. At this point, we have built, in fact, a training dataset for the attack model, which is basically composed by the prediction of the target model, the class label, and another label that states in or out, depending on the fact that that record was in the training set or not. Now, there is a problem here that we still have to solve, which is building the shadow training dataset, but more on that later. The only purpose of the shadow models is to, in fact, build a training dataset, a particular training dataset, that will be used by the attack model to determine if, or well, to learn, if any particular record was or not in the training set. It's not only that the attack model simply learns to recognize inputs that are classified with high confidence, but in fact, by doing so, the attack model is learning to perform a much nastier task, which is how to distinguish between the training input classified with high confidence and other non-training inputs that are also classified with high confidence. So in fact, what the attack model is learning is a way to classify if any particular record was or not in the training set. And this is super powerful. Now, we have to go back one second to the way these training data for shadow models are generated. Because to train shadow models, the attacker needs training data that is distributed similarly to the target model's training data, which we said they have no access to, right? So there are many ways one can generate training data sets that look like the training data that you are trying to emulate. Uh, one is called model-based synthesis, and the other is a statistics-based synthesis. So with model-based synthesis, uh, whenever the attacker doesn't have real training data or not even any statistics about the distribution, it can just generate synthetic training data for the shadow models using the target model itself. And so the intuition is that records that are classified by the target model with very high confidence should also be statistically similar to the target's training data set and therefore provide a good basis for the shadow models themselves. The second idea is statistics-based synthesis, in which the attacker may have some statistical information about the population from which the target model's training data was drawn. For example, the attacker may have prior knowledge of the marginal distributions of different features, and uh, it is possible to generate a synthetic training records for the shadow models by just sampling independently the value of each feature from the marginal distributions. Now, while this is not really uh, you know, precise, it's still a very, very good basis that it's good enough for the shadow model to learn what they need to learn. The other approach can be obtained by perturbation, which consists of getting access to some data that is similar to the target model's training data 
that can be considered as a noisy version and so use this or perturb this by a certain percentage in order to create this diversity of some randomly selected features. So once the shadow models are in fact trained on this shadow training set, they can in fact learn how to predict these labels in and out. And then all these labels will be added to the data set used by the attack model. And so the attack model at the end of the day is going to be a very simple classifier that just predicts in or out on any possible record. I think that this is much harder to explain on a podcast rather than probably reading a paper and watching a figure. So I will report the figure that summarizes all this in the show notes of this episode on datascienceatom.com. One take-home message is that this technique is very effective. It has been tried on um, different data sets and uh, researchers have shown how the training accuracy of the target model goes between 66% to more than 85%, uh, depending on how many classes are involved in the, uh, in the model. Another important conclusion about this uh, methodology is that these attacks are very robust even if the attacker's assumptions about the distribution of the target model's training data are not very accurate. Moreover, the membership inference attack can be trained with only black box access to the target model, which means that the attacker doesn't need any prior knowledge about the distribution of the target model's training data. And this makes the entire methodology very, very powerful and scary, I must say. Of course, the number of output classes of the target model contributes to how much the model leaks. Again, as a conclusion, the more classes, the more signals about the internal state of the model are available to the attacker. So whenever you deal with two classes, uh, you are in fact minimizing the number, the amount of information that is potentially uh, leaking from your model directly. But usually realistic problems have very large number of classes, in which case, of course, more information is available to the attacker. Of course, there are some forms of mitigation to this type of attacks. One in particular, probably the easiest one, is using regularization techniques, uh, for example, dropout when it comes to neural networks. Um, these are forms of regularization that allow one to mitigate the problem of overfitting, but also make stronger privacy guarantees, especially when it comes to neural networks. Definitely something that really works is um, training machine learning models in a differentially private mode, uh, which means that um, some noise gets added to the parameters of the model as it gets trained. Now, of course, the problem of differentially private models is that they can reduce the model's prediction accuracy depending on the amount of the perturbation that one is dealing with. This is a simple technique that can be, in fact, mitigated with uh, simpler approaches. Next week, I'm going to explain something that is even more dangerous about data leakage for, uh, from machine learning models for which regularization techniques would not be enough. This is it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.